We are on the next episode of the Kelly Coelho Show. And on today's show, we have Mr. Randy Casals from JRC Investigation. Let's go ahead and welcome Randy to the show. Hi, Randy. Hi, Kelly. How are you today? Good. How are you? Oh, I'm enjoying myself. It's a beautiful day here in Monterey. Nice. Yeah, it's actually pretty pretty sunny here in Stanislaus County. Is it? Um, great. Yeah, great weather for being still in January. I'm a little shocked, but it, it feels good. Yeah, it's amazing. It makes it hard to uh, concentrate on work when you look outside. It's so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I wanted to say thank you, first off, for joining us on this on this episode. I, I really have been really interested in what you're doing, and I wanted to you know get together and do this podcast so we could share it with others, the knowledge and stuff that you have. And I, I just want to really say thank you for joining us on the show today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. You know, I've had a lot of experiences and it's kind of fun to share with other people. Yeah. So um, you want to go ahead and tell everybody a little bit about yourself and how you got started and anything you want to share with us? Yeah, sure. Um, I've, I was a police officer for about uh, 19 years. I worked with the city of Ceres. And, you know, one of, this, one of the great things with a small department is that we had the opportunity to do so many different things, um, a lot of different job assignments. I started off as a patrol officer, then went into investigations. I also was a, uh, a DARE officer, drug abuse resistance education. I did that off and on for about 10 years. I also worked narcotic enforcement. Um, really had just a wonderful experience um, with that opportunity. Nice. And uh, back in 2000, around 2002, I left the police department due to a hearing loss. And then I entered private investigative work. And I've been doing that now since that time. And I had my own business and have been operating that for the last, uh, I guess, about 18 years. Nice. Well, you want to go ahead and tell us a little bit about your business and um, what you guys specialize in? Well, currently, I you know have been specializing in um, Severosa or surveillance work, but I've done so many different things. Uh, again, working with my past experience, I've done everything from uh, theft investigations of uh, embezzlement. I've also one of the things that really is dear to my heart is you know is youth. I've, I worked with a lot of youth programs in my law enforcement experience, but also as a private investigator, I've, I've worked in numerous, uh, numerous cases involving child trafficking, um, runaways, things of that nature. And yeah, that's kind of the direction that I'd like to follow at this point. That's awesome. Well, I, I've always been interested in the whole human trafficking and just trying to reunite families with, you know, their loved ones that you know, I feel the youth, they, they're very young and they're innocent and they don't know. So just being that helping hand and being able to guide them in the right area and, you know, they're just really lost. And sometimes I feel that they need us to, you know, obviously that they, they fall into this, right. But it's not because they wanted to, they were either, I mean, you're the pro at this. So I feel that they just fall into this without, really wanting to do that maybe it was for money purposes or just trying to get out of a a toxic situation so uh, what kind of challenges have you faced with working these type of cases well you know the first thing is 
educating, you know, the uh, families that are involved um, and to find, you know, some of the warning signs to see those, you know, when children are um, secretive about what they're doing, they're sneaking off, um, maybe they're on the Internet too much. Um, you know, those are all things that you have to be aware of, of as a parent. Um, and, you know, we have to think about these these bad guys are sitting out there. They are doing everything they can um, to entice these young children into their, you know, their web of, uh, of crime. And uh, one of the things that I've noticed is that over the years, there's been so much more awareness. When I first started working some of these cases, um, even working with law enforcement, it was really a, a challenge because they weren't really geared for that and the education wasn't in place. Yeah. Um, over the over the years, there have been some wonderful organizations, some that I know that you have worked with too, that have done just a wonderful job in educating people. Um, like I said, not just law enforcement, but parents and, and society as a whole. Yeah. And I think more so nowadays, I mean, have you looked at like Tim Tebow's mission? I mean, human trafficking has always been there, right? I mean, I've worked cases that even in the midst of things, you find out that the person or the defendant you're looking for is a victim, right? You don't really realize until or until you're actually working or even not even just him, but somebody is like, hey, he hangs out with this person. Come to find out, obviously, you know, you don't really know till you start to work it. Um and just going back to, you know, Tim Tebow's mission, like people didn't really like before, I feel like people knew about it, but like now I feel it's becoming more like loud, like people are being loud and clear about like what people are actually going through and making it known. And Hey, like we need to be these voice for people because they don't have a voice and they need us to step up or need people to step up and be loud and proud about it because these people, these individuals are getting away with doing what they're doing because they're not being held accountable for their actions. So how are we going to stop a problem if nobody is doing anything about it? Exactly. You know, a number of years ago, I was out in the field. I was working another case um, unrelated to um, trafficking, but I noticed a young woman who was meeting with some men and wrong, you know, you get that gut instinct after, you know, 30 years of uh, investigative experience. And, you know, I was just worried about her and I knew something was wrong. Um, I contacted law enforcement and even, you know, even five or six years ago, whatever that was, they still weren't really geared to handle that. And uh, I ended up following the people. Um, they were in two different vehicles, but long story short, CHP eventually pulled them over and unfortunately they released them. There's nothing they could do. I begged the officers to try and contact this young woman's parents. And they said, well, she wasn't listed as a runaway. There wasn't anything they could do at that point. Uh, I've always, always wondered, you know, just wondered what happened to her because like I said, I've seen these things happening. Um, one thing that you mentioned, Tim and, and operation underground railroad hour um, one of the things that they're really working on now, and I've seen that over the last few years, is aftercare. Because once you get these children or other victims to safety, then you have to deal with the emotional traumas that have occurred. And it's not just the, the trauma with the victim themselves, but also the parent. 
you know, the parents and, and the family members, how do they acclimate back to that lifestyle? And, um, you know, there's some cultural uh, challenges that are faced with that. But Tim Tebow, what he has done is he, um, he's prepared for that. And, and they do have a wonderful program um, in the aftercare. And I think that's so important. Yes, definitely. So for the listeners that are listening, and I know aftercare to us means different than what people may think of it as. Can you briefly describe a little bit what you mean by aftercare and what does that look like for um, human trafficking victims? Well, again, you know, it's getting psychological counseling. And also there are times where, you know, there's a transition period where they may have to live outside of the home while they're getting this care um, because, you know, the emotional trauma, but also again, um, I've had some families where the difficulty, like I said, cultural, um, religious beliefs and things of that nature come into play. So we have to address those issues. You know, you can't just bring a child back into the home without having everybody prepared and equipped on how to deal with that. So there are many times, like I said, where they may be housed, um, for a variety of reasons, um, elsewhere besides being returned back to the home. Yeah. Well, do you want to go ahead and talk about, um, just let's make a little shift okay. here. Do you want to go ahead and make some cases that you've worked that you've really became like really emotionally invested or are you pretty good at like setting that line and boundary with that? Well, you know, it's difficult. I mean, throughout the years, I, I can go back to a number of cases where, you know, you, you work with these people, these victims, and, and you do become emotionally involved. But again, you know, you have to keep the separation from that. Um, yeah. And it's tough because you do you do want them to understand that you are compassionate. You have um, an understanding of what they're going through. But at the same time, you still have those professional boundaries and, and you have your obligations um, in that manner. So there have been a variety of different cases that I've worked with. And, you know, it's just so emotional at times. Uh, fortunately, mm -hmm. you know, I've had most of mine have been um, very good outcomes. I did have one child that was rescued with the, the help of law enforcement, who unfortunately, you know, a, about a month later, she disappeared again and was back with these, uh, these bad guys. Uh, yeah. And again, that's something that people don't really discuss because the uh, the trauma, it's almost like the Stockholm syndrome in, in some respects. You know, maybe their yeah. household wasn't very good. It wasn't um, optimal. So they may be enticed back into that type of lifestyle. And, mm -hmm. you know, we need to figure out how we can change that. And like I said, again, that's what I think operation underground railroad is doing is they're addressing those issues and realizing that perhaps returning back to the family may not be you know the the most beneficial thing for that person yeah, yeah. um one of the things that i really enjoy in this is uh, with my narcotics experience i went undercover you know sometimes for months and months and that's something that I really bring to the table when I've worked with law enforcement. Um, there are certain boundaries they may have that we, as a private investigator, you 
aren't bound to. So that's been beneficial because I've been able to go in undercover and I've been able to find information, um, getting out on the street, knocking on doors and talking to people. And uh, that seems to work well for me. You know, I'm able to kind of get into that mode and, like I said, work um, undercover where sometimes people just really aren't equipped for that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've, I've worked some cases, too, where sometimes just talking to people and understanding what's actually going on, say if it's like a neighbor two houses down, you know, there may be a neighbor that doesn't give you information, but you go four or five houses down and they want to give you all the juice, but, right? And any little bit of information from anybody really is a step in the right direction, in my opinion. Um, definitely. That's yeah. why it's so good to have people aware of things. One of the cases um, that I worked, it was just... I don't know where it would have gone had it not been for a neighbor who had looked out their door and they saw a young woman departing in a vehicle with a person who was unknown to them, seemed suspicious. And that person um, got a license plate number. And, and from that, we were able to develop leads on who the person was from that. And I, uh, with the help of a local police department, were able to put the person under surveillance and also we were able to get a court order to um, track the vehicle the person had. And uh, nice. yeah, it, it was amazing. I mean, what this guy was wow. doing, I mean, he was going from hotel to hotel and, and they were switching out these victims from location to location. Usually, you know, every few weeks they're switching them um, from, and even trading them to other people so that the trail mm. could be broken and that's what we were faced with. But we had this person under surveillance for 30 days, and we eventually were able to uh, get the victim, uh, rescue her, and and get these guys, these bad players, um, in custody. And just nice. yeah, it was, it was just an amazing operation. It worked out well. We had the help of a variety of law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, and uh, again, it was just success. Because there's not just one person was rescued, but there were so many other um, young, in this particular case, was young women um, that were rescued. That's so awesome. I was actually involved in a in a sting operation with an agency who I'm not able to disclose that information. But I worked alongside this agency and um, we all did this work together and were able to capture some people at a hotel who are doing, you know, sex trafficking and all that stuff through the hotels and truck, truck drivers were actually involved in it and stuff like that. And that was actually my first case being involved in stuff like that. And, you know, afterwards, I'm like, whoa, like, wow, <laughs> this stuff is beyond real, really you know, is. and it, yeah, and, you know, looking at it, you know, because it actually came out on the news. So I saw the the article and I'm like, whoa, like, this is for reals. And when you see like that, that stuff is happening and it's just, it, it makes you feel so good having that just selfless service. It just is a humbling feeling inside knowing that, yeah, people, a lot of people, especially criminals aren't okay with what we do, but at the end of the day, we know that we are doing good to this community or, and everybody around us. And that's what matters and truly has meaning to it at the end. It really is. You know, we're, we're doing God's work. I think to a certain extent. And, uh, you know, when I'm, when I'm doing these things, I feel, you know, sometimes you just feel like you're guided by that. You know, you, 
I, I just can't explain it. But there's something where you just sit back and you listen, you think about this, you, you know, not to bring religion into this uh, too much. But I think there's that aspect of it where you just have to kind of look at what you've been given, what skills you've been given, and to um, assess things based on that. Well, I think, you know, I am totally okay bringing this religious <laughs> thing in here because I'm a hardcore yeah, Christ follower and I truly believe God. Yeah, I truly believe God brings everybody together for a reason. And I mean, I've been blessed to meet you <laughs> and, you know, just being able to work at things together. And now, you know, it's just been awesome. And, you know, working cases out there, I've, I've been into multiple situations that I just at the end of my day, I go back, I sit back and I'm like, you know, on my drive home, you know, I was working cases out in Monterey, San Jose. And some days I would just drive home and obviously it would take two to three hours, mm -hmm. you know, and I would just think about, you know, and I'm like, wow, God, like you have a reason, you have a purpose for us. Show me, show me what I'm, I'm supposed to be here to do. Um, and, you know, sometimes he would just, I mean, there was one time these kids that obviously they, they were, you could tell they just were outside, just no clothes on dirty diapers and, you know, I, I was starting to bring like snacks and like food uh -huh. in my car and I'd go and like, I would be working cases, talking to neighbors and things like that. And I would just start bringing stuff for kids. And so when I would go to these low income locations, I would just start handing out, Hey, you guys want some snacks? Oh yeah. You know, and they get so excited just over the littlest thing. I mean, snacks that cost you what, $5, yeah. you know what I mean? But just anything that would make their day, you know, and it's it's just been really hard because kids uh, I'm very close like I love kids too so youth is just my where my passion's at and I feel that if we continue to make it known and be loud and stand up and actually be that voice for them we're gonna go places in that area I'm a firm believer and you know maybe God's directing us to do that more you know so we can um you know start that mission and just run yeah, with it you know it's important not to have judgments sometimes too you know it's great to follow your instincts and to to let your experience be your guide to a certain extent too but i was working a case mm -hmm. just a about a year or so ago and it was down in um, compton and uh, there was a group of men who were robbing they're doing takeovers at um, various stores and and you know robbing them so we had a group of people who were out we were out looking we kept them under surveillance and one of, the, one of the places I had to go, like, again, was Compton, and some of the officers were telling me, you got to be careful out there, you're going to be harassed, and this and that, and, uh, you know, I went out to a neighborhood, I just had to stay there nearly all day, and, uh, you know, I talked to the neighbors, and I, I explained to them, hey, this is what's going on here, I'm going to be here all day, and the people were so kind, really generous, they offered me food, and they brought me out water, and they were just pleased to have someone there who was who had an interest in helping them and who reached yeah. out to them and entrusted them um, with the information that I had and uh, didn't make any judgment on them. So it really turned out to be a, a great experience. And I thought, I thought, well, next time I go to Compton and know what to do, you know, um, give the people an opportunity <laughs> because they're out there trying to live their lives. Yeah. And um, I think when you do that, when you reach out to people and, and you're honest about what you're doing and, and you are really working for the good, it, it benefits you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I remember working a case and it was funny. I was doing surveillance for days and this guy kept coming outside. I'm like, you know what? My heart kept telling me, you know what? Just have that conversation with him. He's obviously wondering, and he may have also probably already called PD, yeah. even though they were out there, right? <laughs> so, you know, on like the third day or something, he comes out and he just starts waving at me. And like, it went from, okay, who's this person to like, genuinely like start to wave at me every day after yeah. that. And, you know, day after day, he just, so one, you know, one day I'm still out there, he comes over. You know, and I rolled down my window. I said, hey, how can I help you? You know, and he just said, hey, I just wanted to let you know, I, I know what you're out here for. And I just wanted to bring you stuff. I didn't even have to have that conversation, even though I kept really wanting to have it. But I, I believe at that time he had already spoken to PD. So I, I told him, I said, hey, look, I just asked out of respect, you know, please don't, t- you know, let anybody else know this is, you know, very confidential. And he was like, okay, but I just wanted to give you these snacks. And he brought me out like Ghirardelli chocolates and like, sodas and like um some little cider little bottles of cider and and he just said I I want to thank you he said at first he was a little weirded out by what I was doing but he said after that he figured it out and um he just wanted to say thank you and I was like oh that's you know very nice of you um because it it doesn't come very often you know and when you do you're that makes yeah that make you just really appreciate like what you're doing you know just your service and what you're putting out um even though I wish, you know, sometimes we can help everybody and work a ton of cases to help. But obviously, you know, like, there's so many different types of cases that can go around. Um, what are some of the, like, if you want to talk about, a, like, a case or two of, like, some of your favorite cases that you've worked and just maybe give some, you know. Oh, gosh. I've, where would I begin? There, I mean, there's been so many. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've done everything. You know, I, I worked heavy equipment theft investigations before I've done cargo theft investigations. Um, I mean, I've, again, drawing back on my experience as an undercover agent, um, you know, because I worked with the FBI, DEA, you know, I've, I worked so many different cases and um, with Mexican nationals and, you know, some pretty scary times, but, you know, one of the, one of the most disturbing times, you know, coming in, to these cases as private investigators, so much different than being in law enforcement. But I recall a case where I was working, um, they were uh, custom, they're importers. And I had to go in essentially un- undercover and go into these areas that are cordoned off for customs and, and whatnot. And I knew at that time that it was, I was on my own. There was no rescue for me or anything. And I had to more or less infiltrate these people down in Los Angeles at the uh, docks. And you hear all these stories about that. And uh, I was able to get through it all, but I, I had contacted some people. I said, hey, if I don't call you in 30 minutes, here's where I'm at. Call law enforcement because I'm in trouble. And, uh, you know, as a private investigator, you, you learn how to deal with things a little bit differently. And you you have to think about these things. You have to be prepared to reason, you know, on a daily basis, we're doing what we call pretexting. I'm sure that you do that too, um, where you're getting information um, really by 
by asking questions and going out and canvassing and all that. So it's a whole different mindset from law enforcement um, with the with the PI work. And I think, you know, I do enjoy that because, again, that's what I've always done. I'm a, I'm a team player to a certain extent, but I also enjoy going out there and, and digging in and, and getting information. But the uh, that was really one of the most one of a very interesting in a different in a different way because it was it was a little bit disturbing because I didn't know that industry much I didn't have much information no experience so I was kind of going into the unknown and that could be a little bit um, yeah. frightening at times yeah, yeah. Um, but I've done. Uh, so many different things. You're aware of one that I've done recently involving some Russian mobsters um, who were basically had fled Russia and they had come into the U.S. Now, I can't say a lot on that case because it's, it's still under investigation with the FBI and the Department of Homeland um, Security mm-hmm. but or defense. But again, going back into this, you know, some of these criminalizations are, are just rampant in the u.s and uh, there's people every day trying to combat them um but again dealing with that um was a little bit frightening as well it was a very interesting case and it, it's almost where you when you first approach law enforcement with this information that you have they don't believe you they're thinking you're crazy you're nuts because it can't be true but then when you when you present all the evidence and the information to them then they realize that gosh yeah this is really this really is happening. But these people were bilking um, mm-hmm. Russians for over, you know, a hundred million dollars um, in their scams. And they came to the U S and they were doing the same thing here. Um, they're also fugitives from Interpol. So we're still waiting for yeah. an outcome on that case. Yeah. Yeah. When I was looking into that case, I was pretty, <laughs> um, I did. And yeah, I, um, but you know, also with law enforcement, kind of going off of other cases I've worked with law enforcement, I love my, you know, I love law enforcement. Yeah. I'm a huge law enforcement lover and very strong. I just feel they don't have the enough manpower and they don't have enough of, of I don't want to say support, but I feel that we need more out there more so because they have a huge job to do at the end of the day. And also if they can barely you know, even do their job and write reports and do what they need to do. I don't even know how they would have the time to even investigate all the cases that come in and out of that department every day. I mean, you know, you know that I, I feel that it's, it's not making them look bad, but at the end of the day, they don't, they just don't have the time to do what they need to do and to close some cases. It may not out. always be time, but you know, uh, the political act aspects of that too this particular case one of the things that we were dealing with because i had a good friend of mine george Pirro, um runs the miami office of the of the fbi and he had helped me out on this case he was also the uh, fbi agent who had interviewed or interrogated if you will saddam hussein for seven months um george is a very bright person when i placed a call to him he immediately had his um group of agents assisting me on the matter but what they ran across was that even though these people were wanted um in russia and they had an interpol warrant there's no um extradition treaty with russia so their hands are tied 
they couldn't do anything. So what you know they wanted to do is develop some cases here in the U.S. and unfortunately that's what they have to do. We they we knew where they were. They were um, in two different locations, um, but our hands were tied. Their hands were tied, and they were frustrated because there was an injunction against them um, due to some immigration issues where they had to just sit mm-hmm. back and more or less wait for these people to commit crimes here in the U.S. before they can arrest them. So the political climate is yeah. also um, detrimental, I think, at times to law enforcement. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So we can only do our best and hope that it's enough. Yeah. You're absolutely right. Well, I just wanted to thank you again for being on the show today. Um, I just wanted to leave people with some information that maybe how, if somebody's trying to work, um, get a case investigated and stuff, how can they get a hold of you? Um, you want to share your contact information yeah, and best how thing people can find you? Going to my website, jrcinvestigations.com. And they, it has all my contact information. If they w- would like to call me, my number is 209. 209- Nine nine two seven eight eight six, or they can email me at randy at jrcinvestigations.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. We left everybody with some good, knowledgeable information. And well, I Kelly, just want to say you thank too. you. I appreciate it. And uh, keep up the good work. God bless. Thank right, you, Randy. You too. God bless you.